Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Davis Cup as well. I think the qualifiers are happening as of this week. Uh, but this week, for this podcast episode, I will not be talking about the Davis Cup to your dismay. In fact, I'll be talking about things outside of tennis world. So in terms of news outside of tennis world, we can discuss the Babylon trailer that released yesterday, if not two days ago, uh, directed by Damien Chazelle and you know, starring Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Tobey Maguire. I want to talk about that trailer just for a second because I kind of am interested in watching the movie. So, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be a good movie. I think there's a lot of themes that are similar to that of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So we'll discuss all that. We'll discuss the Babylon trailer. We'll also discuss Jimmy Kimmel getting flack at the Emmys for lying down during Quinta Brunson's acceptance speech. Uh, I saw some people get mad at it. In fact, a lot of people got mad at it. Uh, so we'll discuss that. You know, in fact, it was probably like one of the only times, one of the few times where like individuals really and were in universal hatred for jimmy fallon for jimmy kimmel i'm missing on my jimmies but you know what i mean at the same time at the, at the end of the day they're both interchangeable but jimmy kimmel getting flack at the emmys for the quinta brunson acceptance speech but in terms of news within the tennis world we can discuss diana yastrzemska and emirato Kano's match that happened on monday in which diana yastrzemska retired with two points left in the match so we can discuss diana yastrzemska and emirato Kanu. and we'll start off for today will be Sasha Zverev's ankle injury um, and we will we'll that will be where we will start off today so if you guys don't know Sasha Zverev's ankle injury is making a turn for essentially the worse um, it's been confirmed by the atptour.com and from other outlets that his injury is a little bit more serious than expected or than what it was supposedly to be ending and because of that Sasha Zverev will now miss more and more competitions until I assume will be the ATP finals. So this is from the ATPTour.com. New Zverev injury makes immediate uh, future unclear. And this is from the website. So Alexander Zverev was supposed to return to action this week for the first time since Roland Garros, but a new injury, a bone edema, has made the Germans immediate future unclear after he withdrew from the Davis Cup play. I have a bone edema issue, which has caused me quite a lot of pain, Zero said, according to DavisCup.com. I don't know if it happened yesterday or not, but yesterday in practice with Oscar Ote, it, it got to the point where I couldn't run or walk anymore. I subsequently found out that it was a bone edema, which means I won't be able to play here, and it is not a question of days. It is more a question of weeks or most likely even months, which is quite concerning. Uh, the, it will continue by saying, in the Roland Garros semifinals against Rafa Nadal, or obviously, uh, Zverev tore three ligaments in his right ankle. He underwent surgery on June 8th. Uh, Zverev, a two-time Nido ATP Finals champion, is currently in eighth place in the Pepperstone ATP Live race to turn. All right, so overall, this is not ideal news to hear. Um, I know there's a lot of people that hate on Sasha Zverev, and I understand your hatred. I understand uh, why it's legitimate. Um, but again, I think... From a neutral perspective, you know, put your hate away, put your overall thoughts on Zverev away, and just listen to the story for what it is. I think, you know, if you are a fan of tennis, you know, you want to see elite play. Wherever you are, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a fan of, you know, Kasparud, Alcaraz, the big three. Um, I think what we can all agree on is that we want to see great play and some of the best play that we've ever seen in tennis and i feel like when we restrict or when a player is injured that restricts us that essentially restricts us from being able to enjoy the best play possible and i think regardless of how you may feel that's awesome i know there's a lot of people that dislike him for the domestic violence assault charges and whatnot i understand the the reason as to why people don't like him for his alleged misconduct understand that i say alleged because it's very, very important that I say alleged. I don't want to make it certain or whatnot. I, I don't think that, that I should do that. But, you know, I know there's a lot of reasons to hate on Sasha Zverev, and I, I don't deny that. You know, if you don't like him for that reason, you know, all the power to you. I, I understand your frustration. I understand why you may think that and why you're not in support of Sasha Zverev. 
But in terms of the best of tennis play, I think having Sasha Zverev being able to play and make a legitimate threat to not only the ATP finals, but also to majors, is something that should be the norm and that should be normalized. Not only should be normalized, but should be allowed to happen. And I think when you see Sasha Zverev being sidelined and barred from playing these majors, I do feel as if it takes away from the more competitive aspects of these Grand Slams, of these tournaments, when you don't have Sasha Zverev playing. You know, who knows what could have happened if Sasha Zverev played at Wimbledon? You know, who knows who, who he could have upset? Or imagine the U.S. Open. I mean, two years ago, he reached the U.S. Open final, and he was able to take Dominic Team to the distance. Now, obviously, the final itself was really bad. That's another story, though. But he was able to reach the final and progress to the final and was able to make key upsets on the way there. So I think it's very, very important to really keep that in mind because I know, you know, it's easy to hate on Sasha Zverev. I know it's not a popular thing to do online to really support a roofer Zverev, and um, that's, that's neither here nor there. But I think in terms of making it more competitive, in terms of allowing a more quality product out there that values competition and values the ability for individuals to play at their very best i think sasha's Vera brings that out of people and i mean you saw that against that in that match with nadal for the roland garros quarterfinal semifinal uh semifinal roland garros semifinal where it was three hours long i mean it was boring don't get me wrong it was a boring boring match until those tiebreakers but i mean that tiebreak in that first set i mean that's one of the best tennis I've ever seen Rafa Nadal play. I mean, let's let's not cut any slack right there. And again, as I mentioned before, he brings out the competitive nature out of individuals. And there are plenty of times within that semifinal where Rafa Nadal could have easily just thrown in the bag and be like, you know what? I don't want to play against this person. He's really good. He's really skillful. You know, he's able to get the best out of me at certain times. I'm just going to phone it in because I have my foot injury and I have my other injuries that I'm currently dealing with. So I'm just going to, you know, throw the towel in and, and just focus on on other things. But he didn't do that. You know, Rafa Nadal did not do that. Instead, he focused on being able to beat Zverev in a way that very few people could. So again, I think it's very, very important to look at Sasha Zverev and say, you know what, even though I can disagree with him, even though I I can, you know, virtually hate him for what he's done uh, to Olya Sharapova and whatnot, uh, at the same time, I can also be like, you know what, he does bring out the competitive nature out of people. And I think that in and of itself is something that, you know, does lack amongst other ATP players. Again, I know it's not likable to for me to support or root for him, and I'm not, I'm not supporting or root for him because again, I'm just like a neutral guy. You know, for me, I just value competition at the highest form. That's what I really value. Um, but again, you know, I think it's very, very important to at least admit that you know that Sasha Zverev at times can bring out the best in people in terms of on the court field play, on the court play that is. And I think that is something that should be sort of supported, you know, and amongst, you know, all these sort of, you know, individuals that, you know, have other ulterior motives for succeeding in tennis. When you have, you know, other individuals that, you know, are clearly just doing it for the sake of doing it, not really caring about the overall concern or, or care of, of really putting it their all. You know, I think Sasha Zverev is able to do that in ways that other tennis players can't. And again, I know it's it's unlikable to you know support Zverev. You know, if you're a fan of Zverev, you know, let me know in the comments below if you're a fan of Zverev. Um, you know, because it's it's tough to find it on Reddit and Twitter. And, and Twitter, you know, I mean, it's tough to find it on Reddit and Twitter when you have everybody just like you know hating on Zverev. And again, I understand the reason behind it. I understand the reason. But again, like when I see individuals on Reddit and Twitter support Zverev's injury and root for the injury, that's when I sort of can be in line with them, right? I think it's fine to point out and admit that you're not a fan of somebody, but to support an injury, that's a little too far. Uh, That's a little too far, um, especially when you're not doing it in a funny way. I feel like if it's done in a funny way, then I'm like, okay, at least they're trying to find a comedic angle to it. But if it's just like admitting it for the sake of admitting it, that's when it's like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I can really support that. But again, I think, you know, when you have individuals that are very much vocal about their hatred for Zverev, I mean, again, I don't 
disagree with it, but I think, you know, supporting injuries and making sure that an individual never comes back on court because of said injury, uh, that's, that doesn't create a good product out there. At the end of the day, I want to see a good product. And I feel like Sasha Severa, whether, whether you like him or not, I feel like he's one of those current gen players that can upset individuals, uh, not only, not in terms of off the court, but more importantly on the court, you know, that's what I think should matter. I mean, I think he's an individual that can come in and can really shake things up for uh for the atp and i think he's done that uh quite so often and i think he'll continue to do that once he comes back from this injury now i think the bigger question or the biggest question in regards to zverev is how many majors can zverev win from now on um and that's an interesting question that remains to be sort of delved into i mean i think you know he's 24 i would say 24 25 he might be 26 he's in his mid-20s a little bit older than i am i'm 23 I mean, who knows what his shelf life can be? I mean, who knows how what his potential can be? Uh, but I think two majors now. I mean, I think the, the boat has sailed these current gen players. I mean, whether you're Sitsipas who has zero majors, um, Zverev has zero, Medvedev has one. Uh, those current gen players, the people that are all in the same age range, the the Medvedevs, the Zverevs, the, the Sitsipas's. They've disappointed us. I've been quite disappointed with them for quite some time now because at one point they were scheduled to be the next generation of tennis players that can, you know, really give Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic a run for their money. And once you've realized that that boat has passed and now Carlos Alcraz, who is 18, 19 years old, 19 years old, has now have now has more majors than Zverev and, and, and Tsitsipas and has the same amount of majors as Zverev, Medvedev, and Tsitsipas combined, that should concern you in terms of those three players. You know, and I feel like that is something that needs to be discussed amongst the current gen players and with their teams, with their with their coaches, with people that are within their circle, is how can we have a 19-year-old pass us when we were scheduled to be the next in line? You know, that sh- that conversation should happen amongst Medvedev, amongst Sitspas, amongst Vera. Because right now, if you had Carlos Alcaraz and Medvedev play off in a, in a hardcore match against one another, I'm picking Alcaraz. If you had Zverev and Alcaraz play off against one another in a hardcore, or even grass, or, or dare I say clay, I would pick Alcaraz in a heartbeat. So I think that's a question that Zverev must have with himself once he comes back from injury is how can I have this 19-year-old kid pass me by and what can I do to make sure that this never happens again so that I can win a major some point or another in my lifetime. That should be the discussion that he must have in order to not only legitimize himself as a champion, but to keep him keep himself in contention with his contemporaries. And to see him not do that, and when I see individuals, you know, especially within the within the current gen, I don't like to call them the next gen because the next gen implies that they're still young and that they're still like, you know, in that spot to replace the the current gen, which is which is Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. I like to call them by the current gen because by the by this time they should be in the swing of things and they should be competing. The fact that Alcaraz has passed them by. And one year alone should concern Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Zverev a lot. A lot. It's not good. It's not a good look. You know, it's not a good look when you have 20-something-year-olds, 24- or 25-year-olds that have been in the thick of it for quite some time now, not get over the hump, and have some 19-year-old kid pass them by and is scheduled to be the next, you know, great in tennis. You know, that should raise some eyebrows amongst the current Jenna players. So overall, those are my thoughts on the matter in terms of Zverev and his ankle injury. Uh, I know I sort of went past that and sort of talked about their legacies and whatnot, and not only Zverev's legacy, but also the legacies that are within that are within the ATP with those three players. But again, I, it has to be addressed. It has to be talked about. You know, these players need to step up. They can't have this person pass them by. They need to step up. They need to show uh, these younger these younger individuals that they're willing to win and i don't think we've seen that from Sitsipas, zverev and medvedev for quite some time now i mean for medvedev the last final that he went to for a grand slam was australian open 
You know, I mean, I know Sitsipas had an okay clay season this year. Compared, I mean, compared to last year, he had an okay, okay clay season. Last year, he was great for the clay season. But I know Sitsipas has had an okay clay season. But overall, they've disappointed us. Those three players in particular have disappointed us. So that's something that I think needs to be addressed amongst those three players if they want to be in contention with Alcaraz. All right, I think that's it for that topic. Let's talk about the WTA for a second, okay? So Diana Yastrzemska and Emiratu Kanu played against one another on Monday in a match that essentially ended with Diana Yastrzemska deciding to retire with two points left from her losing. So this is from the WTA. Uh, the number one seed Emiratu Kanu moves into the second round after Yastrzemska retires due to injury. Final score 6-2. 5-3 WTA Porto Rose. And then, yeah, that's basically what happened. So Yastrzemska retired with two points left in the match before she lost. Uh, she cites an injury to her wrist as the main reason for her decision to retire from the overall uh, match. And a lot of uh, people have been questioning her for her decision to retire in the uh, with two points left in the match. And if you know who Diana Yastrzemska is, you know that this is quite the norm for her. You know that this is essentially what we've come to expect from her. You know, an individual that cannot close out matches, and if she does close out matches, it's usually because of the fact that she does have an injury that allows her to close out the match, not on her terms, but on, their, on her opponent's terms. You know, that is who she is. She's an individual that would take an injury timeout just because she's losing, despite the fact that she has no injury. You know, that is who Diana Yastrzemska is. You know, and when you hear about other incidents in regards to this that are similar to this, you know, it does raise some eyebrows about whether or not she should be trusted on play uh, when she's playing. You know, so again, you know, this is not something that's out of the ordinary for Yastrzemska. If anything, this is quite normal behavior from her. It's not right, but it's quite normal behavior from her. Um, you know, I remember one of my first podcast episodes that I ever did. I discussed the Diana Yastrzemska because there was no tennis happening that that week. So Yastrzemska was popped for some PEDs for some steroid, and I was like, Diana, you did it. And I still stand behind that. You know, I think it's very very important that when these tennis players are caught doping, that it's important to catch them in the act, uh, that it's important to call them out, and that they more or less probably did it. You know, I, I think there are certain incidences where they probably didn't do it, or there are certain inc- incidences where you sort of have to question it. You know, I haven't really researched the share public thing, but if you, I mean, I don't know. I mean, leave a comment down below on your situation on the share public thing, but when you look into it, you're like, okay, I can sort of see where share is coming from here. Uh, but more often than not, there are a lot of times where, you know, WTA players, ATP, ter- ATP players, tennis players get caught for doping, and I'm like, you probably did it. And that's what I sort of thought of when I thought of Diana Yastrzemska. So overall, you know, Yastrzemska deciding to retire in the second set, I'm not surprised by it. And overall, when I heard the story, I'm like, there needs to be an investigation with Diana Yastrzemska. I really do think so. I think there should be an investigation happening. I don't know what for certain. You know, I really don't know. Um, but there should be one uh, from the WTA onto Diana Yastrzemska because this is not this is nothing new for her, from her. You know, the fact that she's retiring two points before she before she was, was going to lose. I mean. Again, I'm not, you know, accusing her of anything. I don't want that to be the thing. You know, again, I'm not accusing her of anything at all. But you, there should be an investigation in regards to her dubious retirements from these matches. You know, I'm not accusing her of anything, but there needs to be an investigation. Some form or some point or another, this can be happening in the in, ten, in the tennis world because if this happens at Porter Rose, right? If this happens at that tournament, you know, it could happen at a Grand Slam, and it could happen at a time where she could be up at a Grand Slam semifinal or final, and she decides to retire. You know, and just imagine how that could damage the WTA if that does happen or if that does occur. And I wouldn't put it past her if she does decide to do that. You know, I think she has the ability to do that at a Grand Slam, at a final. 
And I don't think that should be the case whatsoever. I think, you know, her retiring from this match is not good news whatsoever. And I think it should be investigated. I don't know what for. You know, I, I saw some, you know, comments in regards to her deciding to lose to help out the bookies, which, again, that's alleged. I do not know for certain, you know, and I don't want to say that, you know, but I don't want to I don't want that to be the truth. I really don't want that to be the truth. You know, I'm just saying that that is what the people are saying, that she's helping out the bookies. So who knows? Who knows what is happening? But there needs to be an investigation for some reason, for some at some point or another, because this is not healthy. This is not a healthy way of, of viewing tennis. You know, people truly want to support Yastrzemska and Emma Raducanu, and they want to see clean wins. They don't want to see a win where the other individual retires with two points left in the match, where she was going to lose anyways. You know, at the end of the day, we want to see clean wins, clean losses, and we want to see the sport propel in ways that hasn't really been propelled in quite some time. You know, again, I don't think people realize how individuals gambling in the sport can ruin a sport. I mean, think of, you know, the 1919 White Sox scandal, Black Sox scandal with Shoeless Joe Jackson. You know, that nearly ruined baseball. I mean, think about, you know, Pete Rose and, and, and Calvin Ridley. I mean, Calvin Ridley wasn't that bad compared to other, you know, other incidences like that, you know, compared to, um you know, the 1919 Black Sox scandal and, and Pete Rose. But, you know, think about, you know, cricket, for example, and think about the match fixing that was prevalent within the IPL in the early days of the Indian Premier League. You know, again, there's a lot of instances where match fixing has essentially derailed the sport. And again, there needs to be an investigation on her because this can be life or death for the WTA if it happens to be so that she has been working with the bookies. So again, again, I think it's very, very important to call her out on this because at some point or another, this could lead into something that could be darker. You know, there needs to be, I, I feel like the WTA and, and just the governing bodies that surround any tournament that Diana Yostromska plays, they need to be on their P's and Q's. They need to be on their P's and Q's because this could be severe. I, I mean, it could, it really could. It could lead into something that could be even far worse than what we just watched, you know, because this is not normal. To retire due to a wrist injury with two points left in the match is not normal behavior. And I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. You know, I really hope that this is not the case and that, you know, she just happens to have a wrist injury. But we've seen this act countless times before, and we will probably see it countless times afterwards. You know, I'm not accusing her of anything. You know, who knows? I just saw on, on Twitter and Reddit. So, you know, who knows what will happen? You know, and I'm not accusing her of anything. I want to I want to say that, you know, confidently, you know, and, and I want to say that, you know, who knows what's currently happening with Yastrzemska? Who knows? It may be an actual wrist injury, you know, and she may actually be suffering through an actual actual wrist injury. And that may be the case. Who knows? But for me, like this, this has happened for far too long now. And I think something needs to be discussed. Something needs to be addressed with her. Because this is not normal behavior, and I feel like we're going to see worse things from her in the not-so-distant future. I really do think so. And it's not good. It's not good whatsoever. So again, Diana Yastrzemska, Emma Raducanu played against one another. I mean, I'm happy that Emma Raducanu won because she's had a pretty... She's had a pretty mediocre, if not underwhelming, U.S. Open compared to last year. I mean, she lost in the second round. I, I assume, I think the second round, she second or third round, I think second round. Uh, so not good, not good whatsoever. I mean, when you have, when you're returning from a Grand Slam, when you won the Grand Slam last year, it's important to come back stronger than ever. And I don't think like we saw that from her over the past year or so. So hopefully it's not a fluke. You know, hopefully last year was not a fluke for Emma Raducanu. I do want to see her come back because I do think she is good for the sport tennis. I do think she inspires individuals from diverse backgrounds and i don't just don't want to say diverse backgrounds but from different backgrounds uh to play the sport of tennis and i think that's an admirable thing uh so i do want to see her compete i do want to see her win i do want to see her perform well uh because i do think that the success of emirata kanu does lead into the success of the wta and i think for that instance alone i think that is something that should be supported and should be the norm amongst individuals that are quite like lackluster within the wta 
and not only in the WTA per se, but just within tennis as well. I think there's a lot of individuals that, you know, are just playing for the sake of playing it without having any sort of connection or feel for the fan base or feel for the people that are in the court or in the stands. And I feel like that in a way can sort of hinder tennis from being legitimate or helping out tennis in the long run because there's a lot of individuals, you know, that are just simply unlikable in the sport. And I feel like, you know, having Imran Kanu, having uh, Francis Tiafu, you know, having individuals that are of that caliber that can win, I think that in and of itself is very good. And I feel like individuals that are very likable as well, I think that is something that should be expected and that should help out tennis in the long run. So I think, I know I went, you know, off on Danny Jeskamska and I feel like there's a good reason for that. But I do think that there's individuals on the flip side that do help out tennis. And I feel like Emirat Akano is one of them. So hopefully she's able to come back, you know, from whatever, you know, mental spiral that she's in right now or tennis spiral that she's in right now, because I do think that she does help out the sport in the long run. Um, But at the same time, I felt like it's very, very important for me to at least acknowledge that of, say, Diana Yastrzemska, because it's not good. It's not good whatsoever. I, I don't think that this should be the norm. You know, I think there should be some sort of discussion in regards to Diana Nishramska that this behavior should not be the norm. That if you're going to if you're going to have a wrist injury, don't make it two points before you lose your match. You know, if you're going to have a wrist injury, play out your set and then see what happens. And then if there's a changeover, then go to a changeover and, and ask for a physio or ask for a therapist or whatnot. But again, it's like leaving a match two points before you lose. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, this is this is the big leagues. Let's act like it, you know? Anyways, those are my thoughts on Diana Sremska and Emma Raducanu in that match that happened on Monday. I'm pretty sure not many people watched it, but at the same time, you know, small matches can more or less lean into what we'll see in bigger matches. And I do not want to see this happen at a Grand Slam. Nor should you. So... Overall, those are my thoughts on Diana Shumska and Emirata Kanu. All right, let's get into news outside of the tennis world. So Jimmy Kimmel is getting flack at the Emmys uh, for essentially kneeling down or lying down on stage while Quinta Brunson had to essentially accept the award and step over Jimmy Kimmel to accept it. So this is from CNN. So Quinta Brunson had to step over Jimmy Kimmel to accept her Emmy. Uh, CNN. Uh, Quinta Brunson brought the audience to its feet when she won her first Emmy, but uh, at her feet during the moment was Jimmy Kimmel, who pretended to be unconscious and stayed on the floor while she accepted her award as part of the intended joke that ended up miffing some viewers. Kimmel presented the award for outstanding writing for a comedy series with Will Arnett, who dragged Kimmel on stage and joked that Kimmel got into the skinny margaritas at the theater bar after losing in an earlier category. After the Abbott Elementary creator and star was announced as winner for writing the pilot of the popular sitcom, Kimmel stayed on the ground at the base of the microphone stand. He remained there though Brunson's, throughout Brunson's acceptance speech and into the commercial break near two minutes in total. Footage shared by a ceremony attendee showed that Arnett pulled Kimmel's body off stage at the end of the segment. Brunson, unfazed, used her limited time to thank the Abbott Elementary team, her family, and her husband, but not without a dig at Kimmel. Jimmy, wake up. I won. Kimmel remained out of the camera frame for the duration of Brunson's speech, which lasted roughly one minute. So this is from CNN. Overall, Jimmy Kimmel remains to be unfunny. Um, No, I'm kidding. Uh, No, I mean, let's be honest here. Let's let's all, you know, sort of take a step back here because I saw a lot of comments on this, you know, from both the from both liberals and from conservatives. First off, I don't care about the Emmys. I didn't watch the Emmys. I don't. I've ne- I don't plan on watching the Emmys at all. I think the Emmys. I think award shows in general are dumb. I think the fact that we award, you know, that we give awards to, you know, shows in and of itself is a dumb concept. A show is good if the show has good writing, cast. You know, if there's a sense of direction or a sense of understanding, if there's a, if there's the ability for 
you know, people to watch it days on end if if it messes you up psychologically or, or emotionally. I feel like you can really tell if a show is good based off those feelings and those emotions and those aspects of it. To have an award show dedicated to TV shows is one of the dumbest concepts I've ever heard. And I think it's one of the things where it, it sort of deters me from really liking Hollywood. Don't get me wrong. I like movies. I do enjoy film. I do enjoy television at, at times. But I don't like the culture that permeates around Hollywood. And bad jokes, canned jokes, and jokes that clearly are just dumb are it's one of the reasons why I don't like it. And this is textbook example of that. Now, for me, like Jimmy Kimmel seems like a a corporate product now. I mean, I, I do think so. I, at this point, like when I hear people giving you know their honest thoughts on Jimmy Kimmel and saying that they love or hate him. You know, whenever I hear people who say that they love Jimmy Kimmel, that's no different than somebody saying that they love Boeing or that they love Lockheed Martin. Like at the end of the day, if you like Jimmy Kimmel or any of these late night talk shows, you're basically liking a corporate product at this point or at this point in time. So it's like, I don't get it. I don't get why people still view Jimmy Kimmel as like a comedian. I, don't, I really don't get it. At the end of the day, he's a core product. They're all core products. You know, they're all just doing their best to help out Disney or Comcast or Viacom or whatnot. So it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't really make any sense to have an opinion on Jimmy Kimmel. At the end of the day, he's just doing what he can to sell ads and to sell, you know, people, you know, down like bounty commercials and downy commercials. So like at the end of the day, like, He's not a comedian like, at all. Like he's not a comedian. There's nothing about Jimmy Kimmel's career that speaks comedian. I mean, I'm sure he's had some funny moments here and there, maybe at the Man Show. But if you watch the Man Show now, you realize that it hasn't aged well. I mean, there really were hardly any jokes in that show. It really it relied heavily on heavily on TNA. You know, it was like it was one of those shows. That was just clearly just dumb from the start of it. And there was hardly any funny moments. If you watch The Man Show now, you'll realize that it's it hasn't really aged that well. Uh, so if you really think about it, Jimmy Kimmel hasn't really been that funny. Uh, maybe I'm looking at it through like at a perspective that's young. I mean, I'm 23 years old, so I, I don't know as to how funny he truly was back in the day. But if you look back at The Man Show, it simply wasn't funny. So when I, when I saw this, I'm like, yeah, this is unfunny, and I expected this from an unfunny guy. You know, I'm sorry. That's what I expected out of him. Um, I know people were up in arms about it. You know, they were like, Quinta Brunson should have you know, received an Emmy nomination without any any of the backlash or without, any, without Jimmy Kimmel lying on the floor. I mean, like, I'm like, okay, sure, fine, do it. I mean, first off, I have no idea about Abbott Elementary. It could be the greatest sitcom ever. I really don't know about Abbott Elementary. I mean, it could be great. It could be bad. Who knows? At the end of the day, I think award shows for television are dumb. I really do think so. I mean, I loved White Lotus. White Lotus was nominated for an Emmy. You know, do I care if White Lotus won an Emmy? Hell no. At the end of the day, it was still a good miniseries. It's still a good show. I still enjoyed it. You know, at the end of the day, what really matters is if it has an impact on you. You know, I saw Ted Lasso got nominated for Emmys. I'm like, why? Why is Ted Lasso nominated for Emmys? Uh, it's a bad show. So again, it's like there's so many times where like, and then at the end of the day, the Emmys don't represent what's good. Just because some show won an Emmy does not mean the show in and of itself is good. You know, what really matters is if it stays with you. And if it has an impact on you, you know, Shakespeare in Love won the Oscars, but nobody remembers Shakespeare in Love. You know, they remember other films that were in contention with Shakespeare in Love that did end up winning. You know, they remember, you know, other films. You know, I mean, Pulp Fiction did not win an Oscar, but people remember Pulp Fiction more than other films that were more or less nominated for an Oscar. You know, people remember more Saving Private, Private Ryan than they do remember uh, Shakespeare in Love. I'm pretty sure they were released in the same year, in 98, I think. 98, yeah. You know, people remember Brokeback Mountain, then Crash. You know, so at the end of the day, award shows don't dictate anything. You know, I think that's a very, very important thing. And just as they don't depict anything in terms of the arts, in terms of television, they certainly don't, you know, dictate anything that's in comedy as well. 
because Louis C.K. Sorry should have been nominated for an Emmy. Should have been nominated. You know, there's so many other specials that should have been nominated for Emmys that were really good. Um, so again, don't really put too much stock into award shows. They're dumb. It's more or less you buy them. You know, you have to go to a committee. You have to really beg and plead for them to give you an Emmy. You have to campaign for your movie or for your show. Don't put too much stock into award shows at all. Like, I think that's very, very important here. You know, at the end of the day, like, it's all political. It's all, you know, about how you can please them and how you can, you know, sort of give them a five-star hotel treatment in terms of your movie and how you treat them and whatnot. So don't put too much stock into award shows because it's dumb. And again, you know, Jimmy Kimmel... I have nothing, I have no hatred towards Jimmy Kimmel. Like, I don't hate any of the late night talk shows. I, I mean, I hate the content that's in late night talk shows, but the hosts themselves, I don't really hate. They're just trying to do what they can do in terms of making a living and, and you know, helping out their family. And, and obviously, if it means being this unfunny, they're going to do it. I mean, they are comedians. So they'll do whatever they have to do to make the audience like them. So it's like, I don't know. Jimmy Kimmel is an interesting guy uh, because I'm sure he could be funny. You know, that's that's the that's the rough part about Jimmy Kimmel is that he could be funny if he really put his mind and soul into it. You know, if he made more Karl Malone blackface videos, I would love him. You know, like I would love it if he made more Karl Malone blackface videos. If that was the case, uh, I would be like, dude, this guy's like the coolest comic ever. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Obviously, I'm joking. Uh, but still, that'd be awesome. And be like, dude, this guy still has balls. Like, if he just, I mean, if I had to punch up his material, like, if Jimmy Kimmel just went down on stage and lied there and then had, like, the makeup team do blackface and then, like, pop back up and say he was, like, a part of the cast and crew of Abbott Elementary, that'd be a 10 out of 10 sketch. I would love that sketch. If, if Jimmy Kimmel came out with blackface when Quinta Brunson accepted her award, I would love him. That would be, like, the coolest way to, like, endear yourself, Jimmy Kimmel. Do that next time, Jimmy Kimmel. If you're watching or if anybody within Jimmy Kimmel's team is watching this, which they probably aren't unless they're, like, dissecting it and, like, find it, finding ways to hate on hate on it. But, dude, if you're a part of Jimmy Kimmel's sketch, make sure that Jimmy Kimmel wears blackface the next time Abbott Elementary wins an award. That would be the most hilarious thing ever. Or if he just comes out dressing up as Carl Malone. <laughs> <laughs> and accepts the award with with uh, Quinta Brunson. Oh, that'd be hilarious. Again, all jokes here. I, I'm kidding, obviously. Hopefully, you guys are, know that I'm kidding. But still, like at the end of the day, like there's good comedy out there. I, I want I want to make the audience understand that there is good comedy out there. You're not gonna find it on late night. You're gonna find it on the internet. You're gonna find it on YouTube. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of bad YouTube specials out there. There's a lot of bad YouTube specials that rely heavily on, heavily on crowd work. Uh, that are on YouTube, but don't get me wrong, there are a lot of, but don't get it twisted, there are a lot of good specials out there, there are a lot of good comedians out there, you know, don't find it on, like, Jim, like Jimmy Kimmel, you're not going to find it at the Emmys, like, you just want to let, let you guys know, you're not going to find it at the Emmys, and you're certainly not going to find it through Jimmy Kimmel, uh, yeah, that's sort of what I wanted to talk about that, uh, and talk about that, uh, yeah, but anyways, I don't know, man, Jimmy Kimmel's a crazy guy, a crazy guy he is, I mean, it's it's it stinks because he can be funny if he chooses to be funny. I mean, I've seen him on on late night. I mean, he does have some snark to him. I, I think there are times where he does question, you know, a person that is sitting on the couch. And you know, I think usually it does well. Um, I don't know. I think Jimmy Kimmel is a he's a interesting in, interesting guy to look at and observe and examine. Uh, that's sort of where I'll leave it off at that. I was going to mention something about like Emmys and award shows as well. And in terms of you know comedy, um, but that it's it's not coming up to me yet. Anyways, uh, I did not watch the Emmys by the way. I want to make it quite known. Like I do not watch award shows. I'll I'll watch or I will not watch, but I'll sort of hear the results afterwards. So I'll hear the results like the the morning after because you know there are some movies or shows that I've heard that I haven't heard of that do get nominated where I'm like okay maybe I have to check it out based off the summary. Uh, based off the you know plot that they give you or based off the premise that they give you uh, on Wikipedia and whatnot. So 
based off that, I'll check it out. I'll check other shows, but more or less, it's like, I don't know. I don't think we should let art be dictated by award shows. Like, I, I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think that should be the case. I mean, David Lynch has won how many Oscars? And he's still one of the best directors of all time. So it's like, I don't, I don't care. Like, at the end of the day, I mean, has Twin Peaks won an Emmy? I, I'm pretty sure it has. But even if it didn't, it's still a good show. So, again, like, I, it doesn't really matter. Anyways, those are my thoughts on the Emmys. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm not really interested in the Emmys or award shows. Not only because, you know, it doesn't really matter, but because the comedy is really bad. You know, if you're gonna ha- if you're gonna have a, an award show, you gotta have a comedian that can go after after the fabric or the the fraudulence that is Hollywood. You need to have a comedian that checks them, that roasts them. You need to have a comedian that bites back. You know, have a Jimmy Carr there, have a Bill Burr there, have a Louis. You know, I mean, I don't think Louis could host because you know, obviously, you know, they're hesitant to accept him because of the allegations and whatnot, but. I, I still love Louis, so I would love to have Louis roast them. You know, you need to have some comedian that bites back. You need, you need to have some comedian that ha- that knows to roast and that can have some sort of dark spin to it. You need to have a Jesselnick. You need to have a Jimmy Carr. You need to have, you know, a Bill Burr. You need to have, I mean, I would love to have, like, a Shane Gillis there. I mean, I think Shane Gillis would, like, murder, um, you know, at the award show. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I think those are way better individuals. Uh, in terms of comedy that I think you guys should check out. I've already recommended most of their stuff on my podcast, if I remember it. I'm, I remember recommending Jimmy Carr's special, latest special that was released back in like December, January. I remember I, I recommended um, Shane Gillis Live in Austin last year, last September. Um, time flies, man. Time flies last year. Uh, I remember recommending um, Anthony Jeselnik's Caligula. Uh, my wiki pick was like back in December last year. Um, I have a good memory, damn. Anyways, those are good comedians that I think you guys should check out in terms of having dark material that can do well in terms of roasting and in terms of award shows. Uh, obviously, Ricky Gervais is like a household name for that, but again, I feel like those individuals can do a serviceable job, if not a great job at that as well. So overall, those are my thoughts on the Emmys and Jimmy Kimmel. All right, let's get into our last topic for today. So yesterday, I watched the Babylon trailer. So if you guys don't know the Babylon trailer, it's a film directed by Damien Chazelle, starring Margot Robbie, um, Brad Pitt, Tobey Maguire. Unfortunately, Olivia Wilde is in the movie as well, so that's that. Um, But overall, it seems like a good movie. Uh, The trailer has a very sort of once upon a time in Hollywood kind of vibe to it, you know, about like the Hollywood industry and whatnot and you know, hopefully it's good. You know, obviously Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a good movie. Um, but hopefully this is sort of like that because, you know, it does have Mark Robbie. It does have Brad Pitt in it. It does have Leo's best friend, Tommy McGuire in it. So I hopefully it's good. The trailer itself was really good. Uh, I have no idea what the movie is going to be about, but I'm going to walk into it blind and I'm going to hopefully enjoy it. Uh, that's going to be the goal in terms of the film. You know, hopefully I'm able to enjoy it because this past year alone has been decent for movies. I mean, The Northman was a great movie. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, I have not watched it yet. That's going to be the one movie where I just simply do not watch in 2022. Like, I'll always have it in the back of my mind, but I will never be able to watch it. Men, I hear, was meh, um, which pains me to, to hear about that. You know, I, I need to watch it beforehand. For me to give me my honest assessment about it, but I heard uh, men was okay. Um, you know, I hear uh, prey was also pretty good. Um, nope, I watched or did I watch it? No, I didn't watch it yet. Uh, but again, I don't like Jordan Peele, so I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not gonna watch that movie. And I don't think it's that great either, like based on the trailer, it, it can't be that great. I heard like there were a lot of plot holes, I heard the movie in and of itself was mediocre compared to his other films which if it's mediocre compared to his other films it's pretty bad i'm not gonna lie if it's mediocre compared to like us it's a bad film so yeah i mean jordan peele's uh nope i hear was 
okay so which which means it's bad uh crumbs of the future i want to watch i need to watch that film i know i i kept saying it's going to be my weekly pick at some point or another but i need to watch it before it's my weekly pick you know that's the thing um so yeah um i want i need to watch crimes of the future there's a lot of backlog to my films film list i still need to watch the bj novak film i still need to watch um there was another film that regular media covered um that i i heard was pretty good but i, I still need to watch that film as well there are two other films that were a part of that bj novak film that regular media uh covered so i need to watch those two i want to watch the darren aronofsky film well uh as well the Brendan Fraser movie Blonde. I, I want to watch as well for, just for Ana de Amos. Uh, that's the only reason why. Um, there's a lot of movies that you know. I mean, if you look, there are going to be a few movies that will be good. Um, but yeah, I mean, The Northman was a great movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think there's a bunch of movies that I still need to watch. But The Babylon seems like a good movie. Um, it really does. You know, whenever you have a film that's made by Chazelle with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie in it, it's bound to be good. Um, Damien Chazelle is a great director. Uh, if you watch Whiplash, you will know how great he is. He, that was actually my weekly pick a few months ago, if I remember. Uh, I'm remembering everything right now. <laughs> like, I really am. In terms of my weekly picks, I remember everything I recommend because that's how much I love it. Uh, but Whiplash is a great film. If you haven't checked it out already, go check it out. It is one of the best films of the 2010s. It's up there with Nightcrawler in terms of one of my favorite films of 2014 uh, and of the 2010s in and it itself. So go watch Whiplash. Uh, La La Land, I remember watching it when I was like 18 years old. And I'm like, this is a pretty good movie. After some time watching and whatnot, I'm like, eh. It, it, I feel like it was just Hollywood jerking itself off. Um, that's sort of how I felt of when I was, when I was watching it, the movie on repeat, but watching it, like when it, when it came out, I'm like, this is great. I, I remember watching it in the theater. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a great film. Like I remember like almost like crying in the end because of the film, which is tough to admit. Uh, but still Damien Chazelle, I, I know he's not for everybody. I know he's not an individual that you know, is going to get like a certain reaction out of people. But he, he is a, in my opinion, a pretty good director. You know, I think it's safe to say that. Um, and I think when you have Damien Chazelle release something, you know, you sort of have to look back and be like, okay, there could be some merit to it. I haven't watched First Man yet. Uh, I have not watched First Man yet. Um, but I hear the visual effects and cinematography, cinematography were great, but the overall film itself lacked an execution to it, which I think was quite an appropriate analysis of the film but didn't watch it so can't give you my thoughts on it uh but again damage is interesting guy you know this is going to be one of those films where i think it's going to be nominated for oscars i mean i think it's going to be one of those films that will be up for oscar nominations and obviously understandably so i mean you have marco robbie and you have brad pitt in it it's going to be nominated uh but again you should not dictate art based off whether or not it gets an award or not you know that's not the way that you should dictate it. You should dictate your taste in art based off whether or not um, it's good. Uh, that that should be the be-all, end-all for whether uh, a movie, a special, or a film is good is whether or not you really enjoy it and whether it stays with you or not. You know, there's a lot of you know movies that are like that. I mean, The Northman was a great movie that I really enjoyed. Um, there are other films that I really enjoyed as well. RRR, that's a great film that, that was released this past year. Great film, loved it. You know, three hours long, but still went by with a breeze, and and you know it was still a great film. You know, I really enjoyed that film. RRR, The Northman, The Batman was really good. I know it's a superhero film, so if you're against superhero films, that's fine. I completely understand. I completely agree with you. Uh, but again, again, still a good film. You know, there are a lot of good films that are released releasing this year, so I'm excited for it. I really am. You know, I think. You know, a lot of people like sort of like like to admit that oh, movies are done. You know, movies aren't like how they used to be, and I understand that. You know, Matt Damon on Hot One said that the reason why mid-budget films, comedy films, aren't being released anymore is not because of, like wokeness or cancel cultures, but it's because of the fact that you know they can't make their money back on DVD sales, which I think is actually when I first started, I'm like, yeah, I think there's some validity to that statement. 
you know, I think the main reason why comedy films don't do well is because of the fact that, you know, they just don't make any money. Like, they don't. Like, you know, people are like, oh, it's cancel culture, oh, it's wokeness. I mean, no, there's a lot of, you know, comedians that make tons of money despite the fact that they're not, they're not, that they're not woke. I mean, Bill Burr, apparently he made like $4 million doing Fenway. I don't want to blow up his spot. I don't want to blow up his finances, but apparently Bill Burr made that much money doing Fenway Park. You know, Shane Gillis sold out Laugh Boston. Five shows sold out this month that he's, you know, performing at. You know, apparently scalpers are like selling tickets for that show for like 200, 300 bucks. I mean, there's a lot of individuals that are doing well despite them not being woke. I mean, look at the Adam Freeland show. I mean, that show, that podcast has been a bop. Uh, I don't want to, yeah, whatever, you know, you know what I mean? It's been great. I mean, there are a lot of individuals that do make money despite the fact that they're not being woke or not playing by the rules. I mean, Andrew Schultz, a perfect example of that. You know, I mean, there's a lot of individuals that are making money that are not following the structures that Hollywood gives them. And I think that in and of itself is a good thing. I think that's something that should be supported. And I think, you know, when you have films that do mess you up, you know, psychologically or mentally and and have that sort of impact on you, I think that's something that should be admired. You know, I, I still need to watch that Elvis movie. I think there's a good four to five movies that I, I need to watch. You know, Elvis, Crimes of the Future, Men, maybe not so much Men. Um, you know, Elvis, Crimes of the Future, Babylon, Whale, um, blonde, um, there are more, I assume, but there are some good movies that are coming out this year, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it, you know, this fall season, I mean, when you're, I think one of the best things about the fall and the winter is that the movies are just so much better than that of, say, the summer, and that even of, more, more often than not, better than that of, like, the early releases of, like, February and March, like, those are, like, some of the worst months to watch movies, but the fall season is great, I love going to the theater, you know, and, and just watching a movie by myself in the theater, just watching a film that is not Marvel or not like a superhero movie or not a prequel or a sequel, just a standalone film that, you know, has an ambiguous ending. I love that. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than going to a theater that, you know, is deserted and that there's nobody there and that you're one of the few people that are there with some other older couple and, and you're just watching this movie and none of you are getting it. It's the best feeling ever. There's nothing better than that. Uh, so yeah, th- those are all my thoughts on the Babylon trailer and on movies this year. And my overall thoughts on the Hollywood system as it is. So uh, guys, I think that's it for today. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OJ Tucker, H-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore the end. And my TikTok as well at OJ Tucker, H-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore the end. Uh, follow me on all my social mediums. Leave a comment down below on any of the topics that I discuss, whether it's Babylon Trailer, Jimmy Kimmel, Emirat Akano, Diana Gestremska, or even that of, say, Sasha Sarah's ankle injury or lower body injury. Leave any questions, comments, or concerns down below. I want to hear all of your thoughts on the matter. And I want to hear some of your films that you want to watch this year as well. Uh, or if, if you have any suggestions, I'm open for suggestions. I, I think it's important to at least, you know, put it out there to uh, to at least discuss what we enjoy. Uh, I will be filming a state of the film address of 2022 with my good buddy Nathan Long. Uh, so go check that out uh, later this year. Uh, not now. Obviously, we still have to watch some movies. Uh, but, you know, I will be recapping the best films of this past year, and we will, be, we will be discussing it. So go check that out if you haven't already. Or go check out my 2021 State of the Film Address if you haven't already. Uh, I think that's that's sort of more appropriate for this time. So, uh, yeah, make sure you follow me on my social media. Just leave a comment down below. Uh, make sure you rate and review on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and Spotify. Uh, iTunes is no longer available, so Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And last but not least, spread, th- spread this podcast through word of mouth and through group chats and WhatsApp threads. I think it's great if we spread it through word of mouth. I think it's great if we get more and more people invested in th- into this podcast, make it more wholesome, make it more friendly, make it more, uh, you know, make it more 
afford not affordable but make it more enjoyable for everybody you know it's already zero bucks you're paying no money to watch this podcast so it's already affordable uh but anyways guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening uh, i'll see you guys on tuesday i'll talk about things within the political and societal world as well as well as the tennis world as well so guys thank you so much for watching thanks so much for listening avoid the bookings and i'll see you guys on tuesday with a new podcast all right guys peace see y'all